Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. So we're in a very disruptive time for social media, for online marketing, for brands. Big corporate brands are getting disrupted by individuals. That little lad, Ryan, who's seven years old, who has a YouTube channel who reviews toys that did, I think, 18 or even $22 million in revenue last year. Um, you know, the decentralization of media now where you've got um, HBO and Now TV and um, Netflix and Apple TV and all these different, you've got Atlantic and you've got all these different um, media channels. And you are one of those too, should you choose to grow your business or your personal brand that way. Your YouTube channel is your TV station. Your podcast is your radio show. Your social media profile is the window to your business or the community, the local town that you build online. Um, there are many reasons why I think it's really important for you to build a vast personal brand. I believe it's a separate asset to any other business or investing assets that you may have, which gives you added income streams and added security. I believe it's lower cost marketing than print media or traditional radio and TV advertising, which is very expensive with no tracking or guarantee of a return. I believe you can access people globally at the speed of light through fiber optics. Most social media platforms are free. So if you're not leveraging those social media platforms, I don't know why I'm pointing over here, like the social media platforms are over here. Um, but if you're not leveraging them, then your competitors are. There's Facebook groups, there's supporter programs, there's Patreon, there's Instagram, there's podcasts, there's YouTube channels, there's now the Amazon influencer program. There's so much out there. And I'm a big believer that you create multiple streams of leads, multiple streams of followers, fans, subscribers, therefore creating multiple streams of income. Now, yes, you're probably going to get really good at one, you know, maybe your podcast or um, having an amazing Facebook group, but you're also going to leverage all of the others. But building a personal brand is not just about social media. It's about you. What is your brand? How are you known? How do you want to be known? So we'll start the official content because I'll probably do a few little cul-de-sac random tangents. Um, but really, a personal brand is you. Uh, and that's different from a company brand or a product brand. Now, I think a lot of people struggle with, well, who am I and how do I want to be known? And I don't really like putting myself out there. And why am I different? And there's people that are better than me and been doing it longer than me. And um, why me, etc.? And so I'm going to ask you some questions that you'll need to ask of yourself. Now, some of these you may know. Cool. Um, some of these you may need to do some exercises, some homework. I should call it home play because this isn't really work. This is fun as well as it is professional for you. Um, so the first thing is what's unique about you? Um, I would recommend you take notes all through this live stream, but certainly at this part because there's going to be more work for you to do. Um, so um, I, I guess what you could say is unique about me is I like to mix 
arty, creative things with commercial elements, you know, business. Um, I, I'm regarded as reasonably disruptive and um, I like to take risks. Um, now, that's not unique in that there's no one else on the planet that's like that. Um, I like heavy metal. I bring some of the heavy metal and my music influences into some of the things that I do. For example, I don't know any other podcast that has a theme tune with uh, slightly detuned, very heavy rock guitars. Uh, look, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just random. But the point is, it's me. And when it's your personal brand, you're allowed to be you. I'm outspoken. I am speaking um, in, in content and environments like this or on podcasts or just generally in my office. The guys will tell you I've got what they say is no filter. There's a part of the brain that most people have, like a valve in your brain where you think and then you pause and then you say, I don't have whatever that valve is. And I've been able to build a brand around just saying it uh, and being, being very reactive and a pretty emotional person, um, pretty risky with some of the, the things that I say. Um, and I don't do it for a gimmick. It's just me. And anyone who's ever seen me publicly speak, you know that behind the scenes, like when I turn this mic off, I'd be the same. Um, so it took me a long time. It's funny because you think about your brand, your personal brand and who you're meant to be and professional and market yourself. And, you know, I want everyone to think well of me and I really want my business to be professional and well-known and well-regarded and well-respected. And you spend years probably adding layers of things that aren't really who you are. And then once you start building a bit of confidence, knowledge, experience, or you get to 40 like I did, you can kind of get rid of a lot of those layers and just be yourself a bit more. Um, so I'll wear what I want, for example. I wear Vivian Westwood jackets and I love Alexander McQueen and I wear that a lot. And I sometimes wear, you know, some quite suity suit jackets. And then sometimes I just wear a T-shirt and I always wear jeans and I never wear trousers. And for me, that's okay. And some people like it, some people don't. So what is unique about you? Is it your style? Is it your manner? Is it your experience? Is it your accreditations? Um, is it, well, what is it? That's for you to figure out. Okay, next then, are what words or values could you own? So Progressive, one of my companies, we're really getting good global mind spacing, owning that words. You know, I get pictures sent to me all the time. Uh, and when I say all the time, I would say easily more than once a day um, with people around the world sending a picture of a truck with progressive on it. Or there was um, a, in Thailand, there was a progressive estate agency, i.e. there's a couple or three or 10 other companies in the world called progressive. And we're getting them sent them from all over the world like they've copied us because we own the word progressive. Well, we don't. Well, we do in some regards, but we don't in others. We do in some IP, and, um, but we don't own the word in the world. But in many people's minds now, we're starting to have initial ownership and mind space of that word. Same with disruptive. I don't own the word, but I'm starting to get ownership of the word. Um, so what word or words could you also own? Um, chaps at the back. I can really hear myself loudly. I think it must be coming through the headphones or something. I don't know. It's not a problem. It's just going to freak me out. Um, remember, I'm all on my own in this room. And if I could hear myself, I'm going to start talking to myself. <laughs> um, no, no live audience today. Boo. 
Right. What do you stand for and what do you stand against? Maybe you stand against um, traditional education and you stand for, um, you know, entrepreneurial education. Maybe you stand against poverty. Maybe you stand against um, killing animals. I don't know. But what do you stand against and what do you stand for? And obviously they're, they're linked. Think about that. Now, they don't have to be political. They could be professional or commercial. Um, you know, we stand for freedom, choice and profit. Therefore, we stand against the um, nemesis of those, if you like. What story do you tell that others would want to share? Um, so I interviewed Levi Roots for my podcast. Um, and I said to him, what are, you, what are you doing really with your time now? And he said, well, I go out and get invited to a lot of speeches and I seem to be on the road a lot. And I said, well, so, you know, tell me about that. And he says, well, really what I'm doing mostly is I'm telling my story again and again and again and again and again. Um, and sometimes we think that like, we always have to change everything or it has to become new or different because we think people have heard it before. But in reality, your story of maybe some challenges you've had in your life or your brand story because, you know, facts tell, stories sell, and, and people are really moved and motivated and inspired and connected with stories, human stories, real stories. So what it, story is it that you tell that um, can kind of give you some uniqueness and some brand and some equity in people's minds, some ownership? And then is that a story that others would want to share? Um, I was really moved by the story of Alexander McQueen and um, he died on it when he was 40 and I'm 40. Um, and his life and the life that was put into the documentary, how much he achieved in like, what, 21 years as kind of a professional fashion designer. That story just totally blew my mind when I watched it on the 2nd of January this year. And that story makes me go to the McQueen store on Bond Street before any others. It gives me the loyalty to that brand over others. And I think we really do buy stories with brands. You know, the iPod, 10,000 songs in your pocket. I mean, that's a fucking good story in a few words. So think about what that is. You know, what stories do you want people to tell about you? It could be your journey. It could be how you're different. Okay, next then. And remember, we're talking about the brand of you. Uh, what is marketable? marketable blah, blah. What is marketable about you? I.e., what's interesting, memorable, unique, different, newsworthy, viral, shareworthy, polarizing, controversial? Not with. Uh, I don't think you should ever be marketable or polarizing or controversial for a gimmick. Um, I think you should do it because it's part of your brand and your values. Um, I interviewed Katie Hopkins a few days ago. That podcast episode goes out any day now if you're watching the recording. It may be out. Um, that was a bold move. Some people didn't like it. But my podcast is, has the word disruptive in it. So we didn't do it for a gimmick. Um, we did it because it's on brand. Uh, and I, was, I felt I was able to create questions that are mostly on brand. Okay, fine. Um, how do you solve people's problems and pains? You know, what do you do for them? How do you make their life easier, faster? better? What do you solve for them? How do you serve them? Um, because if the brand of you is linked to a service, a solution, a problem that is alleviated, a pain that is taken away, whether it's health, wealth, happiness, you know, whatever, then you have a brand. 
So I would take time to think about those. Now, if you took time to think about those, you may come up with version one. And then if you've got feedback from people around you, clients, customers, followers, fans, critics, and friends and family, you might get to a version two. And then if you go live them for a while, they might morph or evolve into a version three. That's okay. You can't get to version three before you get to version one, because I, I certainly know that mine have evolved over time. Okay, great. So there are three types of brand. There's the business brand, so Progressive or Apple. Then there's the personal brand, Rob Moore or Steve Jobs. Uh, and then there is the product band, brand, like the iPhone. I don't really have any product brands yet. I don't think my companies are really known for a particular product. We've got a couple of courses that um, maybe are, are very well known, but that's definitely an area I could work on. Um, in the early years, we really only worked on our business brand. Um, and maybe in the last sort of four or five years, I've focused a lot more on the personal brand too. Um, I personally want to have um, equity in all three of those different types of brands. This is just about the personal brand, but just wanted to let you know what types of brands there are and how they're different. Do you build all three or do you focus on one? Um, well, it depends on your vision. It depends on um, where, how big you want to be, whether you want to build an empire or a lifestyle business. If you want to build an empire, you want to build a, build a big, vast business. You want to maybe go global. You want to have a, a big machine, make a big impact, make a big difference, um, you know, become very well known, become the top expert in your space. Maybe you've got to build at least two of those, the business brand, the personal brand. Maybe you've got to build all three. Um, if you want a lifestyle business and you want to build it around what you love to share and who you are and what you do and the places you go, then you can just build an, a personal business. You know, there's many, um, a personal brand, sorry, there's many coaches, consultants, trainers, um, therapists, you know, all, all manner of people who mentor and run masterminds, etc. You can have an awesome life building, I mean, Trump, that's a personal brand. Just have a sip of water there and let the word Trump sink in. I make no political statement. All right. Um, so I said earlier, didn't I, that there's a decentralization of media right now. Um, I went on to Apple TV yesterday uh, and I subscribed to Apple TV and Netflix. And then in, there's now a new TV app within Apple TV and you go there and then you have to subscribe. If you want HBO content, you subscribe to HBO. And then I think there's now TV and there's, there's different independent media outlets. Independent, some of them are big, and they're having their own subscriptions. I mean, we had four channels in television. What was it, 30 odd years ago? I don't know. Now there's a million channels, there's a million media. Okay, probably a bit less, but you know what I mean. So, um, yes, some big corporations are still in the game, but uh, media has been decentralized or if privatized, if you like. Um, one of the biggest um, areas that that's happened is in YouTube. Because anyone can be a, a TV show. Um, I'm doing, at the moment, I have three separate possible TV shows that are ongoing. And one of them looks pretty close. Um, it's a Channel 4 TV show. Um, and I've been doing pilots and possible TV shows airing for the last 10 years. Probably on 30 of them, I don't know. Uh, a few, a lot. And none of them have ever really gone big. I was on one TV show called Get a Life in 2006. It was a reality TV show for six, six weeks, something like that. But that was a long time ago. And it, it, it was on primetime living, but then it sort of got dropped down. It wasn't huge. Um, and back then, just, just when I was on TV six years, uh, 10 years ago, 
12 years ago, do your maths, Rob, 13 years ago, fucking ages ago. Um, if you wanted to get on TV, you just had to go through the TV outlets, which is really hard. Now you can make your own documentary on YouTube. You can make your own TV show with, what's this camera we're using, chaps? C100. Canon C100. Would that make film good enough quality to be on TV? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. How much does someone have to pay for a camera but that's the cheapest, but it's good enough that could make a documentary film? Two, three hundred quid. And, you know, what, and uh, some editing software, I guess. Free. free editing software. And you can make a film. And, but you can't get, you're not getting it on BBC. It's not happening. But you, you're getting it on YouTube, and then it could become a massive thing. And this has happened with radio because of podcasts. And this has happened with influencers and big celebrities because of Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and whatever else. It is the most exciting time to live as an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a lifestyle business person. In fact, it's probably the big, big brands that have been disrupted the most in this. I'm really excited about that. So you are your own media empire as well as your own personal brand. And I think if you make that distinction in your head, you're halfway to winning the game. Okay, so um, with your personal brand, whether you want to be an influencer or the go-to person in your space, or the perceived market expert, or you just want more reach and you want to be more well-known. I don't really like the word influencer. It's bestowed upon me by others. Um, I use it because it's a recognized word, but not too much. I don't really know what I'd say. I I prefer personal brand, because I think we've all got a personal brand. Um, But to package yourself, if you like, is your personal brand. So packaging you means being aware that you have a personal brand, being aware that you could be recognized by people. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. If you're consistent and not if you're inconsistent and packaging that into something, um, you know, a memorable phrase, um, a a web address, a a word, um, a package, uh, and that involves being yourself, not pretending to be someone else. And a lot of people are just scared to be themselves. Um, But, you know, I have all sorts of um, self-doubts and I think about things a lot and I often worry about what people are thinking and I, um, I can beat myself up about something I did or I said, yet paradoxically I just, just blurt it all out. Um, I want to make people happy, but I also want to, you know, like get in people's faces and disrupt them. That's a paradox as well. 
and, and I have all this going around my head. And I always used to second guess it or think that that was a weakness in me. But it is just me. Um, there will be a lot of people on this planet that like who I am and what I've got to say and do for them. And there'll be a lot of people on this planet that don't. And no matter how I package myself, I mean, if, if you imagine you're going to have a million followers, let's say you package yourself like this, oh, five, half a million will love you and half a million will be not bothered or hate you. Oh, no worries, then I'll package myself like that. Well, then this half a million will love you and this half a million maybe will not like you. I mean, look at Donald Trump, for example. Um, but look, you don't have to necessarily be divisive and polarizing. That can be powerful, but at least be yourself. And, and honor those traits. Honor your uniqueness. And even if you don't think you're unique, you are. Um, and tell that story to the world. You know, people will find it out about you eventually if you get out in the media enough. And when I say media, I don't necessarily mean mainstream, I mean social. Um, but you can tell them what you're about. You can tell them what your values are. You can tell them how you're different. You can tell them what you believe in. You can tell them why you're unique and different. You can tell them why um, they should listen to you. You know, there aren't many marketers who run training companies like I do in the UK that launched a whole program based on watching a documentary on Alex, Alexander McQueen. But I created an angle, a concept, a story, having watched that documentary, which was true to how I was feeling. Um, and what's 75 times four? £300,000 I made in that launch on that one day with some follow-up. I reckon I could have sold 150 plus places so that would have been 600 grand. It's just um, I didn't have that many places available on the mastermind that I ran. Um, and, you know, I'm not, it wasn't original. It was just, you know, I like this music. I like these films. I like, I'll have these hobbies. I have these interests. All of this makes up who I am. If I bring all of this to my brand, then I'm creating something unique and plenty of people are going to relate to that. And by the way, plenty of people aren't. And that's okay. You cannot be all things to all people. And then when you, when, when you find those traits that are newsworthy, discussion-worthy, interesting, quirky, honour them, exaggerate them, have them as part of who you are. Um, so, you know, don't over-exaggerate or under-exaggerate who you are. There's plenty of people out there making out that there's something that they're not, but there's also plenty of people um, not stepping up and not playing a big enough game because they're worried about what people will think about them. So when, when people say integrity and being true to yourself, it just means not over-exaggerating, not under-exaggerating, not pretending, just honestly, openly, and with some risk and fear of rejection and vulnerability, showing the world who you are. For those to love you and for those to hate you, for those to accept you and for those to reject you. And by the way, people love that. They love it when they get to see the real you, the honest you, the true you, the, the you that hasn't got the walls up, the you that's not bullshitting. This is what more and more people want to see at the moment. Okay, so it's very good for your personal brand. And this, a lot of people struggle in this. So this will be, if you've got to this point and you've gone, yeah, this is fine, Rob, but you know, I'm, I, I know some of this. I, I, everyone I speak to, they can make massive improvements in this area. Too many people are defensive. They're slamming the haters, the trolls. They're calling a critic a hater, and a critic is not a hater. They're calling a hater a troll. A hater is not a troll. They cannot accept any feedback or criticism online, and they act like a child. Or they do the opposite, and they withdraw, and they don't put themselves out there in social media. But if you, went, if you got in a relationship and it went a bit wrong, 
and then you ended that relationship, you wouldn't say, well, I'm never getting married again. Well, actually, you might. But you, would, you definitely wouldn't say, oh, I hate men if you're into men or I hate women if you're into women. And I, I'm, I'm not going near a woman ever again because that woman, she fucked me up. You're not going to say that. You're going to feel emotional and raw. But in a week or a month, you're going to get back on the dating horse. Um, so if you have a bit of criticism, that shouldn't be the end of your social media career. And, you know, like reduce your courage and conviction of putting yourself out there. Now, the more you put yourself out there, the more criticism you'll get. Now, I've gone through loads of different stages of learning how to take criticism, all the way from reject it completely. You know, there's a, a, a saying I really believe, which is hurt people, hurt people. And so it, when I used to get criticism, it hurt me and I'd want to inflict revenge on people. I'd lose my shit. I'd just unleash all my emotions and lash out all over them. Then I would ignore. Then I would block and ban and delete, you know. Then I would engage, but then I'd get sucked in. Then I'd agree, but then I thought, well, actually, you know what? That's kind of, I don't agree. So don't just agree with them to try and stop the argument. You know, then I'd like maybe push back a little bit. Then I I remember running some Facebook ads. Because if you want to find where you get the shittest, nastiest, dirtiest, filthiest, like most outrageous, trolling and hate, um, go on some Facebook ads because there's shit loads. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do a test here and I'm going to start having a joke with them and trying to engage in a bit of banter. Um, and actually you find you turn quite a few of them round or at least they calm down. And I, and I started to enjoy being criticised. After all, they don't know me. It's a Facebook ad. Um, they don't even feel like that tomorrow. It's just that my ads have gone in their face when they're having a shit day. Like, you know, people get really annoyed being in WhatsApp groups. Most of the time they're fine. But if they're overwhelmed and then there's loads of WhatsApp messages, then they leave. But in an hour, they'd be fine. So I've tried everything. Uh, and I feel like allowing yourself to be open to criticism, because I think if people criticize me online and publicly, it means they're comfortable enough that they don't think that I'm going to shoot them down or lose my shit. And I'm proud of that. And I always learn from my critics, even if they're wrong, um, as long as I choose to. And allowing their voice and the discussion and the debate. And then when they're wrong, correcting them elegantly, intelligently, thoughtfully, empathetically, sometimes strongly. And then having a bit of banter with some and, you know, trying to reduce the seriousness of it. People look at you and go, this person has strong convictions. They're confident. I, I, I admire the way that they um, conduct themselves online. I want to follow them. I want to learn from them. And I see them as a leader. And honestly, it's taken a lot of years of experience to get to a level where it doesn't bother you, where you can see it for what it is. And that can really help you with that. Criticism is rarely about you. Like if you say something and they don't like it, it's probably triggered a scab they already had. Now, sometimes you make a mistake and then you should listen to the feedback, knowing the difference between a critic, a troll, a hater and an out and out wanker. You know, there's, they are very different. So I think that's really important because the more you put yourself out there, the more you're going to get this shit. And by the way, they're not always wrong and it's not always shit. Um, and sometimes you would be wise to listen. Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, but I'm just keeping it real or, um, you know, whatever. Well... Yeah, but there's, um, you know, sometimes passion is um, 
misunderstood for acting like a bit of a twat. And there's that line. Yeah, you're passionate about something, but don't go over the line. Also, um, I noticed that people a lot of the time when they're getting critiqued, all they can see is how bad they may look because of what the critic is saying. But what they fail to see is how good they look when they handle it well. And that is a massive distinction because you perceive your, especially if it's libelous, defamation, um, you know, you perceive there's damage to you and you look bad. And people can be, uh, people will lie all the time online. They'll make assumptions. I had a, a post in one of my social media groups just two days ago, three days ago from a chap. And, he ma- and it was only about six paragraphs. And he made 22 judgments about me that he didn't know. All were wrong. 22 judgments in one post, accusing me of everything under the sun. And it's like, well, actually, that's wrong. And you don't know me. And that could damage my business and my brand in my own group. I would never go and do that to him in his group. Probably doesn't have a group, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go into someone else's living room and bring my dog and let the dog do a big shit on their rug. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but a lot of people don't fucking do that in your group. Harry, you might want to edit this bit out. Um, they'll do it. And then they'll go in the fridge and they'll eat all your fucking food. And then they'll go upstairs and put your Netflix on and get into your bed and have a go on your wife. And then they'll leave and they won't lock the door. And they'll think nothing of it. And you're supposed to just be all cool and normal and elegant and whatever. Yeah, that's what, that's what a lot of people do. Handle that professionally, handle that elegantly, handle that forcefully if you need to, but never emotionally, unless it's something that you would fight to the death for and you win. Right, knowing your um, market and your ideal client. So your ideal client is your top 20% clients who pay the most and have, are the least needy and they, they appreciate your product the most and they get the most utility and results out of it and they want to share it around. So if you've got clients already, you've got a business, then you want to work out who that top 20-ish percent is. If you don't know who it is, you've got to think about who you're targeting. So we've had much debate about my foundation, whether it should be for 25-year-olds and under. Um, and the reason it would be 25-year-olds and under that my um, found foundation might donate to or give apprentices or scholarships to is because... So then it's not all things to everyone. Therefore, it's kind of nothing. You, you, you know, watches, for example. So Odomar's PGA do not sell watches to everyone. What do they make? Is it 70,000 watches a year? And so some of the, you know, 70 grand, 100 grand plus. I think the cheapest AP you can probably get now for a man is what, 25 grand. So they're not selling to everyone. They only need to sell 70,000 units a year. So this, and by the way, that wouldn't be 70,000 unique people because if you're an AP buyer, you've probably got more than one AP. They might be selling to 15,000 people or 10,000 people. They'd be very clear on who those are. Um, AP have invited me to quite a few events, watch shows, dinners, launches of watches, etc. Because they're clear who their demographic are and they create a family. Okay, great. So your personal brand versus your business brand. Now, you've got to think about, well, you don't got to do anything, but um, it is wise to think about your privacy, your security, and what you put on your business profiles and personal profiles and, and what assets you have. 
So I think it is wise to have a business profile on the social media channels that allow you to, such as LinkedIn and Facebook. I think it's wise to keep your personal stuff like your kids and your family and drink drunk photos and pants around your ankles spewing up in a bush somewhere. Um, I think it's wise to keep that separate. So I have um, a main social, a main Facebook profile, a main Instagram profile, a main YouTube profile in my own name. Even though it's in my own name, it's, I use it for all the business contacts. Separate might be for friends. Thankfully, I don't have many friends, so I don't really need to worry about that. Um, and you do have to think about your security because people have been burgled when they've checked in abroad and so they know they're away. Um, it's very easy to find. So you could find where, where someone is from a photo now. Just work out where they are. and They're there. And so it probably won't be a thing for quite a while, but the bigger you get, it will be a thing. So just be mindful of that. Um, and you probably want to think about your children and what you expose them to. I'm not one for shielding because the more you shield, the less you prepare them for the world. But I'm also not one for overexposing them too early in things which, you know, could end up damaging them. So something to think about. I don't say that to scare you because you can embrace all the great things in social media. I say it just so that you go in with your eyes open. And a lot of people do have that fear. Now, you can select what content goes to who on most social media profiles. You don't have to share any of your personal stuff. That's your prerogative. You could have a studio so you never show where you are or anything like that. You don't have to check in in a place at a time and you're all good and you can build a vast social media brand. You could never go live. You could always do pre-records and then they never know where you are. Although a live element of um, social media is it has that extra um, real-time element, which people love. Um, yeah. All right. So on Facebook, you would want your profile. You would want a business page. You would want a personal branded page. So profile is 5,000 friends. Page, my page is Rob Moore Progressive, where you can have unlimited likes and followers. Business, Progressive Property has its own page because that's also like Google. Um, so Facebook, I believe, gets as many searches as Google. So people search on Facebook for things now as well as Google. So if you have a business page, it's like having a business page on Google. So I think it's important. Um, in LinkedIn, you'd have a, a business one and a personal one. In Instagram, you just have a personal one, probably, unless your business is wildly different or lends to a, a profile. Like if you're on co in cosmetics or whatever, you might have a couple. Um, probably one podcast. Mine's called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. You could call it The Rob Moore Show, your name, or you could call it about your brand. But I think it's important to have all of these assets set up, um, even if you don't use them that much. Because if you have Snapchat account, Facebook page, ah, oh, Facebook group, that's huge. Huge, 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 huge. You need a Facebook group for your niche, for your industry. Um, they are huge. Because once they're all set up, and they don't take that long, it's just like filling in forms, then anyone who wants to find you or searches for related people or words, you'll get trickle-down followers. Um, so I managed to amass very randomly and organically about 65,000 connections or followers on LinkedIn. I did nothing on LinkedIn. 
It's just I had the profile up there and people could find me. Sometimes organically, sometimes intentionally through search, and sometimes probably just randomly because of the algorithms. But that's nice to, over what, 10 years, have 65,000 organic connections and followers. Had I not set LinkedIn up, I'd have had zero. Okay, next then is how much selling versus how much value creation should you do? Well, there's no rule, but I guess you're watching this because you're an entrepreneur, you're a startup, a scale up, you want to make some money and there's a business element to this. You don't just want a personal brand to you know, have a cat profile on Instagram and get your cat having loads more followers. I'm guessing that's not what you want to do, Kieran, is it? Um, so uh, assuming you want to monetize it in some way, then you are going to have to sell on it. Now, you can sell directly or indirectly. So on platform will take off platform. Uh, and the amount of sales to value ratio you put out there is also linked to how much you put out there. Like if you put one post out a week, you could probably sell every third post. If you put one post out a day, you could probably sell every tenth post. So the more content you put out there, the more right you earn and goodwill you earn to have a commercial element to your content. So that's also a good element for a good argument, sorry, for increasing the content, the amount, the volume that you put out there. If you're not a one a day on all platforms, you need to up your game. Definitely. Um, don't feel overwhelmed for now. Don't worry about your time because it's not a problem. It just you perceive it's a problem. I'll talk to you about that in um, 44 minutes or thereabouts. Um, I like the following ratio. 80%, 10%, 5%, 5%. Bearing in mind, I put probably on average two pieces of content a day, maybe more at the moment because I'm in supporters week. So um, 80% is your content, i.e. your niche. The message, the value, your story, you know, what it is that you share. It's not pitch, it's content. It's, it's adding value. Instructional, educational, inspirational, motivational. That's 80%, 8 out of 10. Then 10% is personal. What you're doing, where you're going, what you love, what you're listening to, what books you're listening to, when you go on a run, how many miles you did, you did a workout, this is my dog Ralph, you know, whatever else. 5% is what I call engagement jacking, which are posts which really are just trying to get um, in, um, work the algorithm out and get more reach. So little sentences that are questions, getting topical or even the odd controversial debate going. Um, it really helps with the reach of your future posts and it just keeps you out there. And then 5% selling. So 80% content, 10% personal, 5% engagement jacking, 5% selling. Um, so if I do 100 posts, that's the ratio I'm going to do. Now, if I did 10 posts, I might do 6, 2, 1, 1, something like that. Cheers. All right. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. Oh, we're putting a lot more content on YouTube and big time upping our YouTube game. Um, but there's a lot of content on the YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe. Okay. So balancing the different platforms. YouTube. Facebook, Facebook groups, Facebook pages, Instagram, Snapchat, podcast, Twitter, etc. There's loads of them. 
How do you balance them all? Well, I believe you use the 70-20-10 ratio. 70% of your time on your main platform, 20% of your time on your second main platform, 10% of your time on the rest. Um, and then over time, uh, you can get more help and admin and VA and better knowledge and leverage. And then when you see that you're LinkedIn, LinkedIn, there's another one. LinkedIn's going big. You take out 10 or 20% of your time that you're on Facebook and put it into LinkedIn. And over, over time, you systemize and scale. And really, there's less time input for you because you've got a team and you really know how that social media platform works. And you don't have to put 70% of your time in that anymore. You can put 20% of your time in. And then you put more time in Instagram. And then over time, you do that, that for Instagram and you put more time into LinkedIn. I'm dividing my time probably. I mean, at the moment, I'm mostly Facebook because the support program has gone wild. Um, let me see how many supporters we've got. Kieran, I haven't checked this for like 10 minutes. Kind of addicted. It's like my, um, what do you call it? It's like my book reviews or my podcast downloads, a little, a little addiction. But the supporters program, which you're, you're, most of you are on, so you get what it is, is premium content um, from me, or I'm not the only supporter out there. There aren't that many in the UK, though. I'm very grateful and privileged that Facebook gave me the functionality. Um, so we now have 1,664 people who subscribe, who, who pay the £3.49 a month to get my premium content, etc. 1,664 people. So I've been on Facebook a lot the last few days. Um, I've had quite a lot of posts that have gone quite wild on LinkedIn. So when that happens, I kind of spend a bit more time on LinkedIn. Still trying to figure out Instagram, but Kieran does a lot for me on Instagram. He's really good at that. He knows that better than me. So kind of let him crack on with that. Um, so yeah, you, you do what you can do. Harry does a lot on YouTube because he knows the keywords better than me and he knows the thumbnails and he knows you know what work on YouTube. I just... You just put a video in front of my face and I just do that part. So get a little bit of help here and there and you can really have this social media interconnected web, this empire, leveraging as many platforms as possible and juggling them all. All right, great. So, so um, there's loads of ways to monetize social media and I'm going to give you a minimum 10 right now. So one way, well, let me rewind before I fast forward. Slow down, Rob. We've got plenty of time. Um, yes, you can sell directly on social media. There's no law against it. Um, but if you, if you link away from Facebook too much, it will dramatically reduce your reach. So will most of the social media platforms. They'll never tell you why. You'll never know why. Um, but if you think about it, if you own Facebook, you don't want everyone going off onto YouTube or LinkedIn unless you own them as well. Um, so... Often it's best to either stay native, in which case it's like maybe send me a PM, put a post in the comments or, you know, do a video and try and make a call to action in there. Um, but if you sell too much on social media, the social element goes. So, yes, social media is fantastic for business, but it's called social media. It's not called business media. So if you're too commercial, it will It'll just put a wall between you and many more clients you could have. So what I like to do is loads of content, loads of value, loads of engagement, loads of discussion, loads of debate, loads of community, loads of sharing and openness and solutions and systems and just chuck it all out. And then the commercial element is out of the platforms. Um, so if you did a Facebook Live and tried to sell you 1,500 quid coaching program, that's not going to work that well unless you've got 
10 million followers because it's going to be a really small percentage conversion. Whereas if you did a Facebook Live and did some content and said, join my webinar, and you did a 90-minute or um, two-hour webinar, really giving really good content in your niche, and then you sold them your coaching program, you're going to get a much higher conversion. So social media to webinar or social media to live event, which is the next one, works much better than selling directly on social media. So could you create a webinar on your niche, give really good content, and then make a commercial offer at the end? Could you do an event, um, whether you're, you teach confidence or um, whether you teach martial arts? You could do an event. You, know, you could do like a, a seminar. And then you could get people to sign up to join your club and pay monthly and give them a discount for paying a year up front. So um, it's not just training businesses like mine that can do that. There's most, if not all, businesses. So I know uh, there's a friend of mine who follows me on social media. I had a chat with him today. He's called Connor and he's got a watch brand called Stanage. Stanage Watches. Well, he could do a, a watch exhibition. He could do a meetup where they go for a drink and um, a nice meal and maybe he could pay for that. And he's got 12 or 15 people who he knows are watch lovers. And he, he, um, they all go for dinner and he presents his new models. Now, Odemars Piguet did that for me a few months ago. What's stopping him doing it? Nothing. Hope he's watching because um, he should do that. Um, you could use social media to launch a book or a podcast and then use that book or that podcast as the media to then make the commercial offer. Um, I don't do any commercial offers on my podcast. I don't even run ads. But what I will do is I'll launch a book and then I give tickets to an event away with it. And then that event, one day, two days, I'll often give that for low cost or free, but then that event will have some commercial elements that I'll be able to monetize. So sometimes it's social media to webinar, but sometimes it's social media to book to event. So it can be two steps sometimes, not just one. Okay, next then is you just build your brand um, through live feeds, content, Facebook groups, podcasts, YouTube videos, discussion, debate. And this isn't just you putting content, content out there, it's you commenting on other people's content to other influencers. And then rely on the trickle-down effect. So if you were to Google me or you research me online, you'll find me on Amazon, loads of books. You'll find me on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify, two podcasts, probably 500 episodes, I would say. You'll find me on Google with my website. You'll find me on all the social media platforms. You'll find me pretty much in my niche, pretty much every commercial space. Um, you'll find information about my courses, videos about my various different products and offers. And you can go and find them in your own time, in the safety and comfort on your phone, without me getting in your face because you've chosen to do it. So I'm not interrupting you. You're doing that of your own volition. And that's really grown for us. So we'll probably do 17, 18 million pound in book business this, this year, which is turnover plus the um, payment plan revenue. Um, and I reckon our third, maybe fourth biggest lead source is me. Just the trickle down effect of all the people that follow me. And we spend 125 grand sometimes a month on Facebook ads. Um, and we spend a lot of money on marketing, but we don't really spend much on pushing out my brand because it 
kind of doing it organically or the content or the work that I'm doing is creating that. So that's the fourth way um, of running monetizing social media. Now, depending on the media, you can run ads. So um, you can run ads on your podcast and generate revenue. You can have ad roll on um, YouTube videos and now Facebook videos, which can generate revenue from the ads that are placed in your videos. So that's another way. You could do live streams and Facebook lives, either native in the platform, so a Facebook live or a LinkedIn live, native, i.e. just on that platform, or like we're streaming this on YouTube, which can then be streamed out to many different platforms like Facebook, etc. So native, one platform or multi-platform, um, and you can then make your commercial offer. Now, I don't have any commercial offer on this one because this is a bonus and a value add, but if this, if this was just... Um, if this wasn't a bonus or a value add, I might do content on social media and then at the end make an offer for my social media influencer masterclass, for example. Um, as I've said, ad revenue from YouTube and Facebook and podcasts, etc. You can get paid to be an influencer. Um, some people have sold their social media accounts. Um, some, people, some social media platforms don't like you doing that so much. Others um, doesn't seem to be as much of a problem. Um, but you can get paid to endorse brands. Um, I know two famous people that got paid more than a million pounds to do some um, brand endorsements. Of course, you're not going to get that when you've got three followers, but it's not a reason not to do it because at some point you're going to have a lot of followers. If you keep doing this, if you keep building your brand and once you, you know, my, I've got five or 600, nearly 600 new supporters in the last two or three days because of how many people follow me and how much I've built my own personal brand. And, you know, we all want to have more followers, so we have to be careful with the vanity element. Um, but there will come a time in your journey when you can turn on revenue, you can endorse products. I've not run any ads or endorsed any products on my YouTube or my podcast, etc. And I like that I haven't, but I don't need the money. But if I did, I would. And um, I probably still would if the right brand came along that I kind of associated with. Okay, next thing you can do is, let's say you've listed all of this and you say, can't do that, Rob, can't do that, Rob, can't do that, Rob, sorry, Rob, can't, can't do that, I haven't got a business, I haven't got a product, I haven't got any of that. Um, what about me? Well, then promote someone else's product and approach a company that you love, that you'd like to be an affiliate or better an ambassador. So an affiliate, just someone who offers it and gets a commission, an ambassador is more of a brand representative of, as such. And so you can get 10%, 20%, maybe even up to 50% of the revenue of the cost of the product or the service that you offer to your communities that you've built. And you don't even have to deliver the product or the service. So that's something else you can do to monetize social media. Um, told you about my trickle-down revenue model. You could create a product staircase. So you could have a, oh, let's go onto the whiteboard. Let's see if we can do this. So. Let's say you have a Facebook group. And in that Facebook group, you link to your YouTube. You also link to your podcast. Um, okay, so this is obviously all free. There's no monetary element to that. Although what's happened recently for me, and this didn't even exist, four months ago, so this was like a bit of a, a win, is the supporters program came out. 
So then from YouTube, you might have you might have the ad revenue. From podcast, you might have the ad revenue, but you could also have people come to a discovery or preview event. Um, that preview event, you might have two products. Let's say for argument's sake, you've got your social media masterclass. These could be products as well as courses or services. And let's say you've got your podcast media masterclass. Uh, and then from there, you might have your social media mastermind. Or you might have your, and you might have your social media agency. From here, you might have your podcast media agency. And then these may go into your inner circle elite mastermind. Look at this shiz. Okay, so free. Let's just say you have, I don't know, 500 a month. Um, say podcast is one grand a month. It could be a lot more. Supporters with my support, 349 times se nearly 1,700. Um, let's just call that six grand a month. And remember, this is all created from this free. The more you put into this, the more you get out down here. So this is free as well. Although you could do it for sort of 50 quid. And let's say you have 50 people in it. So you might get sort of two and a half grand, but that probably won't cover the expenses. But here, you're probably talking 1,500 pound a person. Here again, you might be at 1,500 or 2,000 pound a person. Social media mastermind, you could easily be at five grand. The agency is probably three to 10 grand, but some people you'll have on for years. This agency is three to 10K. And then this one a year would be 22,500 per person. So this is the trickle down revenue model, I call it, or my staircase. Americans might use the word funnel. Don't really like the word funnels. Not really how I build mine. It's not the same. I like people to make their own more organic journey rather than funneled in. Um, by the way, this is one small vertical. We probably have five different versions of these. And but this is all information. So there's no doubt around your products and services. If you sit down and think, okay, I've got a product. How can I create a service related to the product? So if you do cosmetics, how could you offer services within cosmetics? Maybe teach people how to use the cosmetics. So you know, if you do, I know someone very well, a good friend of mine, she does um, lip tattooing and eyebrow tattooing. But what she started to do now is she's teaching people how to do lip tattooing and eyebrow tattooing. And that those courses are eight grand for three days. So if she gets good at marketing, she's gonna do well in those. So, and, and then you could have masterminds and online courses, and then you could go across the side and have business courses and tax courses, etc., for for people in cosmetics. So there's massive scope. Anyway, there you go. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.